podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I am Jeremy Shear. This podcast is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of authority building content in just 60 minutes. So one of the tenets of good copywriting is that you must have a strong hook you know what that means, right? Something to grab the reader's attention and keep them reading. Now, at least that's the advice that you commonly get. But what is a hook exactly? And is using one the best or only way to get attention? So my guest today has kind of a problem with the concept of the hook, and he's here to tell us why. So Derek Pollard is the owner of Constellar Creative, a marketing and thought leadership agency for financial planners. And Derek is also a highly acclaimed and published poet and has taught writing at the university level for many years. And Derek and I are also good friends and both hail from the great state of Michigan. So Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. What a glowing introduction. I very much appreciate it. Hopefully I can live up to it. (laughs) Well, I I know that you will. So, because we've had many conversations, we just haven't recorded (laughs) But this one we're recording, and so this is going to be the best one yet. So let's just get right into it. So the hook, it's a pretty common concept, right? Doesn't seem on its face to be particularly controversial or anything. So what is your issue with with the concept of the hook? Well, I, I think that's a really interesting way to phrase the question. It's not so much the concept of the hook as it is the word itself and all of the connotations around it. Now, I know for most of your listeners, this is going to be a pretty rickety soapbox that I'm getting up on here because ultimately, what does it matter? They're just words, right? It's the ROI that we're looking at. Right? It's the return on engagement in terms of social that we're looking at. We're looking at results, except you're not going to get the results that you're aiming for if your process is wonky. And that's what I'm finding to be the case. When we're talking about marketing, when we're talking about these fundamentals, it isn't that we don't want to arrest the attention of our ideal client. Far from it. That's precisely what the work we do is intended to result in. But as somebody who spends most every day using his words to elicit those responses, to get that attention, to create engagement, I find that quite often we do a disservice to the people we're aiming to serve when we refer to them as chum. And that's what's happening when we're talking about hooking them. Because really, and again, Here's where the rickety part of the soapbox comes in. We're talking about figurative language here. It's a metaphor. I get that, right? The same thing happens when we talk about going out and killing it in terms of, of our business. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the last thing that I want to encourage people to do when it comes to reaching out to their ideal client. I don't want them to kill anything. When we look around, there's too much violence in the world as it is. The same applies to the hook which is surrounded by connotations that are sending messages that you may not intend. Because when you think about a hook, really what you're doing when you're using that language, and that's what we're doing so often on social, is we're talking shop out loud so that everyone can hear it. 
what we're broadcasting when we do that is a notion of a transactional relationship with the people we want to do business with. I'm sharpening a barb. I'm baiting it in a way that's going to appeal to you so that I can reel you in. I'm not entirely sure that that transactional relationship is the type of relationship that is going to lead to the growth, the sustainable growth, and the type of lasting and meaningful relationships that people are after when they are doing the hard work of reaching out and projecting not just their authority, but the who, the how, and the why behind the what. So it's not so much a question of the concept. We're still talking about compelling attention. It's the language that we're using that I take issue with because this is what we do when we create content, when we generate copy. We're using language strategically. I think we just, I think we want to be more careful so that there's no opportunity for our ideal audience to misread or mishear or misinterpret what we're talking about. And I think we want to guard against all of those connotations that are circling around the individual words that we're using. So less concept, more language. And the way that I often frame this when I'm talking with writing students is by asking this question, do you want to be playing the language or do you want to play in you? Because when we're using mm. cliche, when we are drawing on what I refer to in the case of hooks as lazy language, we're reinforcing messages that are unintended. And ultimately, we're just letting the language play us. I don't think that's a good look for people who are trying to go out into the world and make genuine connections with people. So it sounds like part of kind of what's undergirding this here, like part of your kind of message is let's be more thoughtful about the language we use. Well, and I think that that's exactly it. I think a, a mindful approach to using our words just helps. It creates greater clarity, provides us with more opportunity to show up as the people we are, right? the people that we are going to introduce to our prospective clients on that discovery call, or if we're really doing it well on social, on the web, so that by the time they pick up the phone, it's not a question of learning more about what, what we do, but rather, when do we start? But I think that that's one of the great opportunities that we have. And you and I have talked about this at length. It's in dialogue that real change happens. In examining the language that we're using in a case like, hey, you're killing it. I hope you kill this deal, right? I hope you kill this sale. That's not flattering language. The same thing is happening when we're using the word hook. There's a certain condescension, whether it's intended, which I hope not, right? Or unintended. Yeah. We're sending a message there that ultimately we're meant to reel you in. And I'm not mm -hmm. entirely sure that that is the best way for us to go out into the world and advertise and promote the work that we do. There's a lot to unpack here. So, you know, by the way, it strikes me that the term hook, if you think about it like a fishing hook, mm -hmm. it's not just a lure, but it also involves trickery, right? I mean, the whole idea is that you put something on the hook that the fish thinks is just a tasty meal and they bite and they're like, oh shit, wait, you know, you got me. And now the hook's in their lip and you pull them up and they're like, fuck, you, you tricked me. 
essentially, with something that appeals to me in some like really basic way, but then you kind of weaponized it and now you've reeled me in and you're going to, you know, chop me up and eat me for dinner. Well, you're after a quick sale, right? You're baiting me to reel me in. And that's the message that you're ultimately sending to me. And that's the message that we're reinforcing. And I'm talking, there are so many extraordinary content creators, so many extraordinary copywriters and marketers working right now. It's just when we're having these conversations out loud on social, when we're talking shop, we're reinforcing that condescension. We're reinforcing the skepticism that continues to have people consider marketing and advertising as the bullshit business. And Mm -hmm. we're already having to overcome a certain skepticism, regardless of what industry we're operating in, in order to begin to create the relationships that are going to lead not only to better business, but business done better. If we can alleviate another one of those points of skepticism in this process, we're all better for it. And having conversations like this is a great way for us to do that so that we can identify those places where the language we're using doesn't honor and dignify not only our own process, but our audience. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. integral in a relationship economy like the one we operate in is for us not just to broadcast the, again, the who, how, and, and why behind the what, but also to show up in a way that dignifies the people that we want to work with. Because people connect with people being people. They don't connect, right? They don't come away from an experience and when they're like, I I just got taken. I just got had, right? Because that's exactly what we're doing when we're using language like this. We're either promoting fear, we're either promoting violence, or we're promoting a condescension that's unintended. And again, I just think we can do this better. There are too many good people invested in doing something different with marketing, as Seth Godin has said. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is to, as you say, be more mindful about the work that we're doing. Okay. So, you know, I could imagine someone listening to this discussion and saying, and and, and I'll channel there kind of this, what I'm imagining might be like a a bit of skepticism here, okay, and kind of play devil's advocate and push back, and then I'll get your reaction to it. So I can imagine someone listening and being like, okay, I get what you're saying, but I'm just trying to get people's attention because it's super hard. I'm trying to stop the scroll, you know, as we say, another cliche, by the way, that would be interesting to think about, but I'm trying to get them to pause for a moment. And I'm just trying to create a, a, like a headline, yeah. let's call it, or, you know, if you don't want to use the word hook, fine, call it something else. That's just going to get people's attention. I'm not trying to trick anybody. Yeah. I'm not condescending to anybody. I'm just trying to do what I can to get people's attention and keep them reading on. And my intentions are pure, you know, I'm not trying to reel anyone in or, or fool anybody. And what does it matter if, what I call that thing that I'm doing, if it's the concept of the hook or we call it something else, like as long as I'm in the right frame of mind, isn't that okay? So how would you respond to that? Well, again, at the very start of that hypothetical that you've just given us, you made a point of tossing out the value of the words that we use, right? What does it matter? It's just a word, right? Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing. We don't have AI yeah. jotting down <laughs> every right line that we're recording to the best of our knowledge. Right. 
It's that very thing that is at the core of the conversation that we're having. And and here's one of the ways that I tend to think about this myself and advocate for this type of change. This is an invitation. It's an invitation to have a discussion. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity to engage when people do push back in these ways. Although very rarely have I encountered that type of constructive dialogue around this issue. Quite often, people take the Cassandra route. This isn't something that they necessarily want to devote time and energy to because, sure, it is inconsequential. They're just words, right? It's what I'm saying that matters. The words are, except the words do matter. The words matter tremendously. Mm-hmm. And when we're, when we're using figurative language, when we're using metaphor, in this particular way, we open up the opportunity for as much as I want to encourage everyone to trust their ideal client, their, their ideal audience, because I think that too is, is invaluable in terms of establishing the types of relationships, sustainable relationships that, that we're talking about in terms of growth and retention in your business. I think the thing that we need to do is we need to be particularly mindful about the words that we use. And we need to think about the opportunities to engage and to invite. Now, again, it's a shift in language from hook to invitation, but just Mm -hmm. think about putting on your pretend cap, right? Thinking about my deep admiration for Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, some of the best schooling I ever got. Put on your pretend cap and put yourself in the place of the person that you are attempting to reach. Right? We're all consumers ourselves. It's one of the reasons empathy is absolutely integral to the work we do now. Put yourself in the place of the person that you're writing for, that you're creating content for. If you come to them with an invitation, they're much more likely to engage with you, to listen to you, to feel as though there's an opportunity to build trust with you than they are if you're like, hey, I'm here to hook you. I'm going to create a hook. I'm going to get you so Mm -hmm. caught up in this that you can't look away. This gets Mm. us to another sort of trite cliche that we find ourselves using quite often. And again, just like with all of the violent metaphors we've been talking about, I don't want there to be any more FOMO in the world. I mean, we're talking about headlines. We're talking about what's called above the fold content. So on LinkedIn, for instance, your first three lines, right, of of text before the see more button comes up, which PS triggers unique engagements and triggers the algorithm. So posts that generate the see more are going to get more traction and going to get more reach. Having said that, the above the fold content there, those first two or three lines, if you're scaring someone into doing business with you, if you're inciting violence in terms of asking them to go out and murder anything, who and what are you saying to them about the way you go about doing the business that you do in the five seconds you have Mm. to create that buy-in? How are you using that time and space? What are you saying to the people you're looking to reach out to and do business with in that above the fold content. And if you're attempting to snare them, 
like you say, if you're attempting to reel them in, particularly if it's on a false premise, not only are they going to see right through it, they're going to tune out. And if they do wind up doing business with you, and that's the experience they have, don't forget the best marketing team you're ever going to have are the people you do business with. You treat them well, and they're going to go out into the world, and they're going to advocate for you. They're going to bring business to you. They're going to become the, the backbone of the referrals that are going to build increased an increased platform for you going forward. And so the whole notion of the importance of, of the customer journey, the customer experience or the client experience has to be at the forefront of how we think about the work that we do mm. when we just use our words. If I'm hearing you correctly, then it, it's not just using hooks with and, and, and attempting to deceive, right? You know, we all, we can all agree that that's bad and, and you shouldn't do that, but, but even more you know, profoundly, maybe even with the best of intentions, as if I'm hearing you correctly, even trying to be like as honest and forthright as you can, you're saying is if still you're approaching it from this, like, okay, well, I need to have a hook at the beginning without even really thinking right. about what, what you're actually saying, that somehow skews everything, or it kind of infuses the messaging without intending to without you even maybe knowing it or being totally aware of it in a way that if you do pause to think about it, like, is that really what you want to do? Is that really kind of who you want to be and how you're engaging with people? Am I in the right track? Oh, absolutely. And I think you framed it very well. Is that the person you want to be? Is that the person you are? Is that the brand avatar that you've built? Is that how you mm. want people to know you? Is it through this sense of hook, reel in, rinse, repeat another cliche, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to kind of run yeah. through them today for everybody. But I, I think, again, when your listeners wind up putting themselves in the position, and we've all been in that position, right? I'm, again, we are all consumers yeah. and prospective clients here. When we put ourselves in that position, I think we really realize what the stakes are, right? I, I don't want to be sending those messages on behalf of the clients that I work with that we're in it for short-term gain. We're in it for a quick sell. We're in it for a quick bit of business. We're going to get in and get out because you leave a trace whenever you do that. And, and again, all of us can draw on countless examples in our own lives where that's the feeling we've gotten. And that's the experience we've had in doing business with a particular individual or particular company. And I got to tell you, I'm at a point in my life where I'm very cautious about my investments. I'm very cautious about how I invest time, energy, and money. I'm very, very careful about whom I do business with. And a lot of that has to do with whether they give a shit about me or not. And I don't mean mm -hmm. paying lip service. I don't mean the platitudes that go into the sort of authenticity marketing that's kind of become yeah. industry standard at this point. I mean, do they actually care? Do I get a sense that in having a conversation with a customer service rep in reading the content that's on a website, do I feel valued? What's the feeling that it generates in me? Do I feel like this company or this individual, in my case, this advisor truly cares? And again, you've, you're sending, as you had said, a very mixed message or an unintended message. When you're approaching this avenue of your outreach across your marketing collateral, 
if you find yourself thinking, okay, I just got to hook them. I got to get them here. Yeah. I, got, I have to stop the scroll. And here's the way you're going to generate the most engaging content, the most compelling content, the content people just want to read, the newsletter, that rare newsletter that people actually stay subscribed to and open is yeah. by just showing up and not bullshitting, right? Doing yeah. the research. At all. Yeah, doing the research, sharing your expertise, but underneath that, putting yourself in the position of your ideal client, whether they're just starting on their journey, whether they're at the midpoint, whether they're right into retirement and their priorities are shifting or have shifted, wherever they fall on that spectrum, the person you want to reach, the one person, as Amy Tan reminds us at the end of her essay, Mother Tongue, before it's the next and the next and the next, that one person, they have to know you care. And they have to know it is authentic, not just another marketing ploy. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of things I want to say in response to that. One that comes to mind is just from a, a practical or just from a strategic standpoint, right? We're all trying to differentiate. And marketing is all about positioning yourself in a way that makes you stand out. And I think just practically right strategically if that's something that matters to you as it kind of has to if most people are thinking in terms of the hook yeah. that's going to lead naturally to a, a kind of a certain way then of writing hooks yeah. so-called and messaging and and there's kind of a finite number i mean there are endless variations i suppose you could say but you're going to end up sounding a lot like everyone else who's approaching it from that standpoint, yeah. right? Of like, okay, well, first comes the hook. As opposed to, as you've suggested, maybe think about it as an invitation. Yeah. How is that going to color music of your language, yeah. you know? Or I'm sort of mixing metaphors here, but how is that going to... And I think inevitably, like if you're someone who does care about language, you know, if you're, you're a copywriter or a writer of any kind, you know that every word does matter and that your mindset can have a real impact on the words you choose and sort of the, the way that they come across and the way that they make people feel, right? And yeah. so, again, just strategically, if you're like, well, everyone's doing the hook, I'm going to think about it a different way. And that's going to give me an advantage right. because it's going to help me stand out. Well, and I mean, a couple of things. The first of which is I almost want to, I'm tempted because I think this is really where marketing does move into. We get so far away from the bullshit business at this point. And I think we find this, particularly those of us who identify as working within a creative field. Although, just so we're clear about this, everyone is working in a creative field. Right? Sure. But for those of us who are deemed creatives, I think one of the things that that we are often talking about and advocating for is a sense of play. I think that is going to bring you to a point where you are able to unlearn all of the things that all of the marketing guidebooks and all of the coaching guidebooks that you have picked up and read, right? Whether they're still on your shelves or not, you're going to be able to unlearn all of that because if you're just showing up as yourself, if you are just looking to engage with people mm. on that most basic human level by showing up and saying, hey, look, here's how I can help. 
right? Here are, here are all of the mistakes that I've made on whatever path to success I have created that I can help you avoid. Here are the ways in which I can be an advocate for you. I can be a guide. I can be a support. If you just start showing up in that way, then all of those 10 to 12 steps of here's how you create content, you do X, Y, and it goes out the window because what you do, much like in a podcast, right? Much like in an interview, you just wind up having a conversation. You begin to value and honor the fact that you're not broadcasting so much as you are engaging organically with that one person you're attempting to connect with. And I think that that's one of the big changes that I would love to see happen and do see happening. I take courage from this is that another one of the misconceptions has been in this business as usual model, which is always a step behind, as you and I have talked about. Yeah, It's conversion that leads to connection. Nothing could be further from the truth as we continue, as, as the business environment, the economy, and our sense of what it is to do business in a post-pandemic world begins to sh- continues to shift and change. But what we're finding is that this is all about showing up in ways that aren't formulaic, that aren't templatized, mm, that don't yeah. fall back on these trite cliches and that don't reinforce messages you don't intend. I think there's so much to be excited about here. And, you know, again, I'm not just speaking as an educator here, somebody who has been involved as a creative for decades, I'm talking about somebody who just sits and reads and writes all day, right? Uh, on behalf mm-hmm. of clients and on behalf of Constellar Creative. I love when these conversations get sparked. I love when people bring a mindfulness to the work that they do, because as you say, that in and of itself is different. That's a different approach. That's not going out and trying to peg your content to a CTA to drive traffic to your website from social. That's you showing up wanting, genuinely wanting to engage people in dialogue because you value their input. You're treating them as co-creators and you are invested in using your words with intention. And that's just thrilling. Like so much good comes out of that when people are willing to put in that kind of time. Because like I said, we begin to unlearn all of the things that often stand in our way because that's how things have been done. Those are the words we use. The other thing I wanted to mention is we haven't really talked about this yet, but you know, the word hook isn't always a bad thing. Right. We use this in the same way that killing it comes out of the entertainment industry. There is a connotative value. And in, in connotation, I mean the meaning of the word that isn't strictly literal, right? That's connotation. Mm-hmm. So if we say something's really cool and we mean it's hip or it's interesting or it's a little ahead of the game, right? That's a connotation there because cool generally means cool to the touch, right? The same thing is going on with hook. They aren't all bad. Right? I, I think in most cases, and certainly based on the research I've done, they skew in that direction. But we also have another connotative meaning of hook that comes out of the entertainment industry. And you know that the last time you were listening to a Tina Turner song, right? The last time you yeah, were right. listening to a bit of Motown, the hook there, again, conceptually is very similar to what we're talking about, except we've all experienced this. If it's a good hook, what does it do? 
doesn't make you feel like you're getting played. doesn't feel like you just shelled out money for a record or the album or the streaming subscription. What it makes you feel is a sense of involvement and participation. You start moving, right? That kind of hook. Yeah. Right. That's very, very different. But there's so much other information surrounding that word that that's not always going to be clear. And I really like the way you put it earlier, shift in mindset, right? I think that if we're going to continue to use the word, and I'm, I'm clearly advocating that we can do a better job of that, I think we have to be very, very clear that that's the type of hook we're talking about. But again, that's an invitation, right? That's an invitation yeah. to, to participate in that song. It's not a, I'm going to, I'm going to move product here, right? I'm going to, yeah. we're going to sell merch. We're going to, this is all about that invitation that you're extending. And I think most performers would say that's where it gets real. That's where entertainment really, really begins to make an impact in the world. And I know we've all experienced that, whether it's an engagement with a particular song, particular work of art, a book, a poem, right? A painting, whatever it may be, we've been moved. And I just want to make yeah. sure that it's that that we're talking about. And I'm not sure Hook does a good enough job of making that clear to the people that mm -hmm. we want to have doing business with. Yeah. I really like that, though. I like thinking about it in terms of the musical hook, yeah. right? Because there are some similarities, right? It, it does grab your attention. It's a thing that you can't get out of your head, right? Yeah. But, but there are important differences in that, in music at least, a hook isn't something... First of all, it's, it, it's not the first thing you yeah. hear, usually in a song. The song doesn't begin with the hook. Yeah. It's, you have to kind of have a little patience yeah. and like, give the song a chance. And also, it's not just a one-time thing, like a, a bait yeah. that you take, and then whether you like it or not, you're kind of in this you know, system. No, it, it happens again and again in a song in an artful way so that it makes you just never want to stop listening or listen to the song again and again because yeah. the hook is just so awesome. And, and it's joyful. Yeah. It's something that makes you happy because it's even hard to define exactly what constitutes a great hook in, in song, right? It, and as kind of a songwriter, like an amateur yeah. songwriter, it's really hard to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write a hook now. I'm sure some writer, songwriters can do that. It's more like sometimes you don't even know you, that you've written a great hook. And then, and then you realize only afterwards, like, this is just a super catchy little thing. I wasn't even totally conscious of it, but there it is. Well, and, and I'm not trying to, and I'm, it's not deliberate in other words, it, it's organic. Well, and, you know? and, and I, I love the point you've just made because although we might be able to recognize that one of the things that I absolutely love is that it's the audience that determines the value and the way you've just framed that, right. that's what's going on there, right? It's the listener who has the agency you've made a song, right? You've created content. You've opened that up and made it available to others and they're determining its value. And I think that, that in that case, again, the entire impetus is to develop a, a, a co-creational relationship. That's collaboration at its finest because yeah. you're doing, I mean, just by dint of releasing that out into the world, you're creating the opportunity to get the type of feedback that's ultimately, and again, I, I'm not advocating for a formulaic approach, but you're going to get a sense and you're going to get a very clear sense of what's working and what isn't, 
right? It's the most wonderful form of creative A-B testing that you can come up with. Now, the other thing that I want to say is you've also said something that's incredibly important, and this flies in the face of conventional wisdom, particularly in our digital age where we have analytics available to us about damn near everything. The process that you and I are talking about, and it's not just the process of marketing effectively, it's the process of differentiating by showing up as the person you are. That's a nebulous process. And as tightly woven as your structure may be, as keen as your strategy may be, as efficient as your tactics are, here's the truth of the matter. And this is why I, I don't find any threat in, in a, in terms of the way it's being packaged and sold that process, it's not scalable in that way. And, and I think you said it Mm. so well, you can't even really put your finger on it. What you can do is you can train yourself to be available to it. And I'm not talking about inspiration because I'm with Chuck Close there. Inspiration is for Mm -hmm. amateurs, right? But what I am talking Mm -hmm. about is priming yourself to be available to the call of the muses or the fates so that when that idea strikes you, and it's generally not going to come during regular hours, it's not going to come by you sitting down and trying to bang your head against a wall to get it to come out. It's going to come when you least expect it because you've been doing all of the deep thinking behind all of the conscious thinking that you've been doing. And the minute that that moment arrives, if you have trained yourself to be available to it, you're going to jot it down, right? Whether you wake up from a dead sleep or whether you're in the middle of a work day, you're going to wind up capturing that idea because that's exactly the way or that's the start to the way that it needs to be framed so that it has the effect that you intend. And I, I so appreciate that because, again, this flies in the face of every marketing book you're going to buy, every white paper right. you're going to download, all of the advice. The truth is this is a messy process and all we can do is train ourselves to be available it's a messy process and there's also to yeah. it as it's training yourself to get out of your own way. Yeah. Like when, when those ideas or concepts or musical hooks or whatever pop to not judge them out of existence, just let them happen, capture it and then see what happens. Yeah. Give it a chance to, to live and breathe. And like you say, let it out there and let the audience tell yeah. you, you know, there are so many examples of this. Music especially, which is what I know best. There's a famous story, famous Rolling Stone song, Satisfaction. Like they're arguably like, well, one of their biggest hits for sure. Keith Richards wrote that riff. He woke up out of a dream and had a tape recorder, right? And just grabbed a guitar and did it and then fell back asleep. And he forgot to turn the tape recorder off apparently. So he woke up the next day without any memory of doing that. And he was like, what, why is there a tape recorder here? And he played it and there's like 10 seconds of the riff and then hours of him snoring or something because he just let it play. But he wasn't aware that he was right. doing it. Yeah. And another great example of that is uh, Jack White, one of my musical heroes, when he was in the White Stripes. I mean, one of the greatest hooks of all time, at least recently, is Seven Nation Army, yeah. right? Dun, 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 dun. Everyone knows that. That's become literally like a worldwide anthem, especially in sports stadiums. The story of how he wrote that, he was doing a a sound check apparently before a show or wherever, and he'd just been playing around with this riff. I think he thought like maybe one day I'll get a chance to write like a James Bond movie theme song, which he actually did later on, although it wasn't this song. And he was and he was 
playing it at the sound check and he asked like one of his his manager or something he was like what do you think about this don't don't and the guy was like yeah i don't know it's okay so like it's so easy for you as the creator or other people without thinking about it to shoot something down and be like nah but jack white being in my estimation a musical genius knew better because it, it wouldn't it didn't leave him it stayed with him and next thing you know he puts that out and he said like he had no idea that this particular song would catch on in that way. And now it's become like 100,000 people in a soccer stadium yeah. in wherever chanting this thing like all around the world. It's become like a folk song. And Jack White has said like, it's not even mine anymore. Yeah. I put it out there and it's been embraced and that's incredible. Yeah. And it's not something you can ever plan. But like, can you imagine, like the achievement in that level is staggering. <laughs> And yeah. he didn't, and it was not part of any kind of plan or foresight or like, I'm going to follow these steps to achieve that kind of greatness. It hap you have to get to a place where you're capable of producing something like that. And a big part of that is allowing it to happen and getting out of your own way. Oh, I, again, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and one of the other aspects of that is, I, I don't know if there's any greater advocacy that we can do for creating a swipe file for yourself, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, just a place where those ideas live, yeah. previous content lives, images, alt text, creating an yeah. archive in which you just get to play, right? Even before, yeah. I, and I think that's so important because it was a throwaway riff that got shot down when he brought it to his initial listener but it stayed with him. Yeah. There was something of value there. And I think that that is a tremendous takeaway for us, just in terms of keeping the ideas alive. You may not know how they connect. You may not know how that next LinkedIn post is quite going to come together or how it plugs into your overall narrative strategy, but there's something there. And if there's something there, you can't do any better than to follow your intuition and just yeah. let it, again, as we were saying, kind of rest in the back of your thoughts so that that almost unconscious process of content creation is able to work behind the scenes and get you to the place where that particular post has the impact. I can't imagine that in that moment, Jack White was not like, there's something here, right? And, yeah, and exactly. when he thinks there's something there, I think it's pretty clear that's going to have a big audience. But I, he, like to your point, he had no idea what the process was going to look like. He didn't have the song fully formed. It was just an idea and he kept teasing at it. And another yeah. thing that's hugely important, and I know this is so hard when there's money on the table or there's a deal at stake or there's a sale that you're attempting to broker, right? A new client that you're attempting to build a relation. I know when money's involved, this gets really hard, but here's another truth that I think quite often either gets pushed aside or overlooked or ignored deliberately. The type of work that we're talking about takes time to build yeah. the type of connectivity. I'm not talking about following, but the type of connectivity on a, a single social channel, let alone the six or seven that most people occupy out of habit at this point. Most people are on six to seven social channels, whether they're active daily or not. Yeah. If we ignore it and rush to produce content, 
and don't give ourselves the opportunity to allow these ideas to tease at our thoughts for a while, I don't think we're going to have the impact. We're certainly not going to have the long-term impact that we're looking for. That song that Jack White wrote would not have been the song that people have adopted as a sort of folk anthem at this point, had he rushed it into production, had he thought, okay, I've had success before when I do this next, after this string of chords, or I can put this particular chorus in here, and that's going right. to that's gonna move product, right? He kept at the idea, yeah. and he had a conviction that that patience would be rewarded. And I can't stress or emphasize enough how valuable and important that is. Again, I know it's extremely difficult when you're trying to get from Q1 to Q2 or from Q4 into right. Q1. I know when there's a, a fallow period in terms of growth, there's all of this pressure, both internal and external, to continue to move forward. But if the ideas are there, they're going to hit just when they need to hit. And I think if we're patient and we have the fortitude, again, if we have the discipline to trust the process in that way, another cliche, right? We were talking about the Detroit yeah. Lions before we came on. You know, oh, that yeah. is totally a sports cliche, trust the process. But if we're able yeah. to do that, we're going to see the results ultimately that we're looking for. I just, I know, you know, from personal experience as an entrepreneur, it's really tough. But yeah, when, when we stick with the ideas, that's when all of those extraordinary things happen. Right. I mean, you make such a good point that you succumb to the pressure and everyone succumbs sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. No one's completely invulnerable, but if you give into it too much, then, and it leads to just, okay, I need to do the most straightforward thing or just tell me what to do, right? Or what are the steps I need to get out of whatever situation I'm in, or I need to hit yeah. this number. Again, that's short-term thinking, yeah. right? And well, it's the worst. It's the worst kind of hook, right? Right. It's and and it leads to mediocrity, frankly, right? It leads to just following what other people have done or appear to have done to achieve success, and you're just copying them, and that usually doesn't work. Sometimes it depends what it is, but especially for like trying to differentiate in your marketing, if you're just copying other people, you're gonna look and sound like those other people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's the time that you mentioned, and, and I think in, in, in like two distinct ways, one, as you've already said, to give ideas, even half-baked, half-formed, just time to kind of marinate, germinate, whichever term you want to use, but also, and you brought this up before, carve out time for play. And that's so important, just messing around, yeah. like you did when you were a kid, without a particular destination in mind yeah. without like, okay, this piece has to hit this metric, just seeing what happens, yeah. not knowing exactly what you're doing, because so often that is where a lot of the best stuff will come from. And yeah. if you don't ever make time for that, then, then you, you end up at the end of the day over enough time, sapping the creative process of creating content of any fun and joy. It just becomes another job and that you need to take off and just produce, right. you know, like an assembly line. That's, and again, that leads to kind of mediocre, boring stuff because if you're not psyched about what you're doing yeah. and if you're not engaged in that kind of play where you're discovering new things about yourself and like what you're capable of, 
then it's going to infuse into the content yeah. and the content's going to come across as like another thing I put out there because I had to. Yeah. I can't emphasize enough the point you've just made. That enthusiasm. I, I'm not suggesting all of this is true for all of us, but for so many of us, and you drew the line that I think is so important for us to draw back to our childhoods when we were unafraid of expressing ourselves. In many cases, I, I want to be very clear and very careful about that. Not in every case, but in many cases, as children, the world is new to us. Everything is an opportunity to discover. And yeah. being nurtured in that, and I will certainly say that's one of the things that allowed me to pursue the path in my life, having the great good fortune to grow up in such a loving and supportive family and being nurtured in those mm -hmm. interests, in those passions. But the truth is, I was no different in so many aspects from all of the other kids around me. We love to write and draw and paint and play and discover yeah. and build things. I mean, my goodness gracious, I was one of the poster children for Legos growing up, right? <laughs> yeah. Because so much of that was about storytelling and inventing worlds and getting lost. And I don't mean in a a sort of, I mean, just lost in the immersion of that experience. I don't know at what point so many people lose that courage, but it happens. And I think it's so important to lift that weight and take that burden off of all of the other baggage we carry with us, because many of us are so much more creative and expressive than we give ourselves credit for. And to your point earlier, if we just start to engage in that now, again, you know, like I'm a hardened poet. <laughs> I, I've hardened poet. I, I, like I, I often joke around about it. I could wallpaper a small two bedroom home with the rejection letters I've received over the course of my <laughs> career. It's part of the process. I became acclimated to that very early on, but in that proliferation of rejection, you know, I've had three books published. I can't even count the number of journals I have publications in. And that's not a humble brag. It's just to suggest we have the opportunity through perseverance and a willingness to risk those types of what I think are small scale rejections. And again, I know, you know, if you've invested half a million dollars in a particular offering and it's sitting on the table collecting dust, that's an expensive lesson to learn. That's an expensive bit of yeah. play. I get that. And I'm not suggesting that we lessen the impact of that. But what I am suggesting is we're a lot more courageous, a lot bolder, a lot more expressive and creative than often we give ourselves credit for. And the point you made is such an important one. When we get out of our own way, we find our way back to yeah. that. And if that's the person that we are, that genuine person who's unafraid of showing up and asking all of what the rest of the room might consider to be the quote unquote dumb questions, we're the person yeah. who's going to get the answers that everyone else is looking for. Right. And I just think that's such yeah. a wonderful experience because it lessens the, the weight that we carry. It provides, you use the word, and I think it's such a great one. There, it provides us with a sense of rekindled joy. And when we experience joy, that's what we wind up sharing out with the world. And I don't think there's any more good that we can do with that, whether it's in the context of marketing, business, the customer experience, wherever you want to place that trajectory, the motivating force 
a lot of good happens. Well, I can easily say this is one of probably the most interesting conversation and sort of deep conversation we've had on this podcast. This is unlike any other episode we've done. So thank you, Derek, for that. This has really been a joyful conversation, I think. And so how can people connect with you? What's the best way? Well, first off, let me say, I I hope one of the things that we've managed to do here is open up a door so that more of these conversations Mm. do happen. Because I know certainly from your long list of prior guests, there's so much creativity and enthusiasm there. And so I hope we've opened up a door here. I'm really excited about that going forward. Uh, In terms of getting in touch with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Derek Pollard-PhD. Right, I had to slip that in there somewhere. And doctor always (laughs) seems kind of wonky to me. But it also was because Derek Pollard was already taken. Right. <laughs> so at Derek Pollard PhD on LinkedIn, please uh, don't hesitate to send me a, a connection request. If you just want to kind of get your feet wet, of course, you can follow me, but I would love to have the opportunity to get to know you and the content that you're doing more. You can always take a look at what Consular Creative is doing on the website, consularcreative.com. There's also a connection page and uh, there's a calendar booking link that has two clicks and we can put a call on the calendar and we can follow up. And I'd certainly welcome the opportunity to do that. Excellent. Well, Derek, again, thank you so much. This was a, this was an intense conversation, but a, a super enjoyable one. So thank you. Well, thanks again for the invitation to show up and to talk about something, like I said, to set up the rickety soapbox and talk about something that's really important. I think to all of us that I'm not quite sure we're talking about in ways that enough people are engaging with. So I'm hoping that that's one of the results too, is we get to have conversations like this on social, on the web and in the business that we're doing. Indeed. Me too. Take care. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.